0: The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. Forgive my impatience, but I hope you will podcast your plan for me soon. I can't shake the feeling that you must have saved me for something greater than this.
1: Hello, everyone. We are back. Scream Kings are back. Yes, uh, and and we're back today talking about something that Both of us swear that we had recorded about already, so this is the the weirdest, like you know, alternate universe Mandela effect kind of thing. So the whole time we're just going to be going. We've already said this, but um, (laughs) none of you heard it.
0: Yeah, it was a weird thing. We were trying to decide what episode to review today, and sorry, what movie we were going to review today, and we. You know, had this idea of Saint Maud, and I thought we had already recorded Saint Maud. And you corrected me saying, uh, no, we haven't. And then this like weird flood of random memories started just pouring in <laughs> about conversations we've had about this movie. And I think what happened, Nathaniel, is we watched it together, and then we had mm-hmm. a very like in-depth discussion, which we usually save for the podcast. Yeah, Uh, but this time around, I think we just really got into it and, you know, had a great time talking about a lot of the themes of this episode, sorry, of this movie, that it felt like a podcast episode.
1: Yeah, and then we, you know, then I I went home, we were like, okay, we'll record about that, like, tomorrow or something, and then we just didn't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I think it's something... That we both really enjoyed in our first watch. Yes. And that like energy that we took after viewing it just felt like an episode for us. And we continued with our lives. And I think we created a multiverse moment.
1: Mm Mm-hmm yeah I mean, really, we should have just busted out a you know microphone and just recorded that conversation <laughs> and then our lives would be easier today
0: yes, uh so, as we've been preparing for this episode, it's been kind of fun to think of all of these false memories that I had and and pinpointing them and trying to pick them apart as in like oh, this never happened. Brain is amazing indeed, so yes, we're going to be talking about the two thousand and nineteen I consider to be a fairly stellar movie. Uh, saint Maud. I just want to
1: see you loosen up.
0: I've got more important things on my mind. <laughs> There's my little saint oh
1: Maud. He isn't real.
0: <laughs> Nothing worthwhile comes easily. All the good girls go. You must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen I'm ready and open I feel fuller of your love Than ever before Yeah, It is a really Gripping tale Of kind of a, a Poor rejected nurse's Descent into insanity might be a good word. I-, I wanted to say demonic possession, but that's not really what's going on here. So
1: uh, maybe sadness <laughs> and, re- and religious zeal. Sure. Yes.
0: Uh, it's a very uh, kind of, I-, I think you coined the term horror art, and I'm not sure if that's a Nathanielism or not, uh, mm. but it is kind of a slow descent it is a slower burn it's reminiscent of movies like midsummer even hereditary Uh, of course not on the same caliber as those movies but as far as the cinematography and the mise-en-scene and all of that it's very thoughtful in its approach
1: would you agree oh yeah it's definitely you know right in the same kind of vein as most of you know what we've been seeing coming from like a24 or you know a lot of these you know filmmakers like Ari Aster or Robert Eggers or, or you know a number of you know similar uh, you know yeah like slow burn beautiful cinematography you know subtle acting kind of horror that um, yeah this is this fits right within that niche
0: yeah and I think a lot of times when we you know are looking for a horror movie to watch we kind of fall into these moods right sometimes I'm really in the mood to watch a foreign movie. Other times I'm really in the mood to watch a gritty slasher. Uh, And then other times I really want to be poignant about my horror moving experience and and take some time. And I think St. Maude does that very, very well. It's the kind of movie that sticks with you after you finish it, but not... Not really in like a hereditary sort of way. Hereditary sticks with you and it makes you want to sage your house and go get a blessing. Yes. Uh, Saint Maud really makes you contemplate on a lot of things. And to me, that is a really beautiful aspect of this movie. And I think really important because the topics for me, uh, you know, this was right up my alley as far as a possession sort of a movie. But again, with kind of a weird twist.
1: I agree. Um, So, yeah, let's just kind of launch into some of the things that we really like about this movie. Um, Because I think we have a a lot of things to say, you know, both good and also, you know, some less good. But, or or actually, no, let's, I guess, maybe just do a brief summary um, just to kind of help us have, you know, the, uh, you know, a a rough uh, map that we can then kind of point to whenever we're talking about different elements.
0: Sure, so St. Maude is kind of this tragic story about a a young nurse who some sort of mysterious event happened while she was at one of her nursing jobs. I'm not quite sure what to call that there. Um, Someone died, which ultimately caused her to leave the institution and start kind of doing this private nursing scenario situation. Hmm. Uh, She eventually finds a job with an old actress slash dancer who is very vibrant and kind of sassy and snarky and has that very kind of hollywood air to her very um,
1: bohemian
0: yes bohemian and uh, saint Maud is incredibly religious she seems to be very catholic very devout Uh, praise, you know, very simple in her appearance and kind of how she goes about her day. So the juxtaposition here kind of develops some tension early on between this kind of free-willed bohemian lifestyle and this conflicted religious person. However, they start to build a a quite interesting relationship because our lovely Amanda, who is this bohemian, has what is implied to be perhaps cancer or some sort of fatal illness which is causing her to reflect on life and kind of eternity. So it's, a, it's an opportunity for St. Ma to teach her about God's love and, and bring her into the fold, so to speak. However, Nathaniel, where does it go?
1: Well, so, you know, there, there are some, like, moments of, of you, know, co- you know, hey, is she going to, you know, convert her or things like that? You know, there's some very, you know, kind of religious moments where Amanda is even, you know, starting to maybe gain some faith. But then there's this big party because Amanda definitely is still, you know, very much tied to a lot of her old friends and old ways. And at this party, Maud basically calls her out and you know basically just says like, "Hey, this is, you know, sinful and wicked and you're a bad person." And they get into a, a fight and Maud ends up slapping her and then gets uh, obviously fired from her job. Makes <laughs> sense.
0: Also important, though, I want to interject here that Amanda is alluded to have a lesbian lover, which Maud is incredibly uncomfortable with because religion.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, she's kind of a a stereotypical, you know, like New York dancer where there's just lots of, you know, uh, sexual experimentation and experimentation with drugs and all sorts of stuff that, you know, you typically see kind of stereotypically associated with that scene. Uh, but but yeah, so after Maud is fired, she just kind of retreats into herself and really just spirals out of control in terms of her religiosity. Um she starts to, you know, kinda of go from you know, just regular prayer and stuff to like full blown like flagellation, you know, she needs to physically suffer in order to be purified kind of stuff. And, and, you know, it gets worse and more and more upsetting as it goes through. You know, she starts, you know, putting, you know, like horrible, you know, like, uh, doesn't she put shards of glass in her shoes?
0: No, that is moon Knight. She actually takes
1: all yeah,
0: old, old, like, uh, nails, like, like you would do carpentry with and, puts them in her shoes and walks on those.
1: Oh, yeah. Which I, for I, some I,
0: reason is worse to me, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: certainly a lot higher chances of tetanus. Uh, um, for sure.
0: <laughs> She's a nurse, though. She's got it covered.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, so she walks on the nails. Obviously, I've watched Moonlight Night recently, so that's on my mind. Um, But she, you know, just does worse and worse things. But then she also, like, reconnects Uh, just kind of randomly with one of her old nursing friends, and, you know, they start to kind of spend time together, and so she then starts to kind of get pulled into this, like, party lifestyle again a little bit, which apparently she was, you know, quite the the party animal back in the day, and that's, you know, suggested that that's probably why the person who died died, is that she was, you know, hungover or drunk or something at work, and, and that's why that person didn't get the care they needed and died. And so, she starts to kind of, you know, flirt with that lifestyle again, and, you know, part of that also seems to be, hey, maybe she had, um, or is at least tempted to have some sort of sexual relationship with this, you know, other nurse friend, or things like that, and she starts to kind of get pulled back into that, possibly. Yeah, so, however the friends, of course, kind of portray her, she
0: has a sexual awakening, not an awakening, but a resurgence. And it all, again, like you mentioned, kind of backfires and it makes her kind of slide down this religious obsession slope even further to the point where she starts to think she's speaking to God himself or perhaps angels, and they are telling her to go and do things on their behalf, ultimately, which leads her back to Amanda's house to try and save her from her sins by killing her. Uh, and then it escalates a little bit further where the end of the movie you know again we're a spoiler podcast get ready uh she kills herself and the ending herself on fire yeah yeah the the ending is we'll get to that a little bit later because the lead-up to amanda was very you know kind of disappointing but that last scene is just really very poignant about a lot of the topics that are going on here so that's kind of a, a rough plot uh I know people don't love it when we give a synopsis of our movies, but I think the context here is really important for a lot of these topics we'll be
1: discussing. Yeah, just that way we can kind of point at specific moments or specific ideas with the the things that we are liking, or especially I think the things that we um, didn't like as much. You know, it's, it's easier to point to specific moments as opposed to just kind of speaking generally.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> so for me, um, I, I do want to kind of lay the foundation here that... You know, fans of our show know that I used to be pretty religious and I have since left the church and have really kind of adapted a more agnostic, pantheistic type of worldview. Mm -hmm. And you are still very religious. And so I want to bring that to the forefront because I think that narrative of our life experience is really going to define how we look and how we interpret this movie to some extent. Absolutely. Uh, uh, For me... I am a sucker for demon movies. I, everyone knows that I am a, an amateur demonologist. Uh, and with that in mind, I thought it was incredibly fascinating to watch a show that took a typical possession story. You know, Reagan playing with the Ouija board and then Pazuzu overtaking her. But let's flip the coin on the other side and talk about stuff that really happens where people become so obsessed with their religion that they in some way become possessed themselves. And I think the, argue, excuse me, the argument could be made that a lot of people have done terrible things in the world and have blamed it on demonic possession. Hmm. And we kind of give that a pass, like, oh, yeah, you, you know, we don't believe it per se, but we always say, you know, the devil made them do it or the devil is evil. That's why they caused evil things. But what I really appreciated about St. Maude is it flips that on its head and said, people who are obsessed with religion can do the same amount of evil. They can be possessed by God. They can be possessed by angels, so to speak, which can lead them to do the exact same things that the devil could make them do. And I, I thought that twist is really fascinating to explore in
1: horror. I, I definitely agree. And, and that was, I think, the thing that appealed to me the most about this movie was... That subversion of the possession narrative um I don't know if it was as successful in that as I wanted it to be um just in that she is told to do a lot of stuff you know we we see the um you know when, you know like when we're looking at the stages of uh possession you know there's like the you know, creepy stuff happening around the house and then there's the voice talking to you and then it, like, enters you, right? Um, We get mostly to the voice talking to you stage in terms of her possession, but we don't necessarily see it, like, controlling her. And that was the thing that I wanted it to go to because um, that that was interesting to me. Um, But, you know, I, I definitely agree, like, in terms of you know, impact and, and how people can do often very horrifying things in the name of different causes or, oh yeah, the devil made me do it or whatever. Yeah, like religion, um, without a doubt, you know, and, and Christianity specifically often does come up as the reason that people say they did some horrifying thing, right? You know, we have, you know, the the bombings of the FBI offices, we have, you know, so many uh horrifyingly uh you know like white supremacist terrorist attacks and things like that that are all done in the name of being a good christian or things like that and so like taking that kind of story and then showing that in a very um you know exorcist style possession movie format is such a brilliant idea because yeah people Always say, you know, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm doing it because you know I I have to be a a a warrior for Christ or things like that. I mean, the Crusades were that, right?
0: Well, and even you know, there in Utah right now, there's a lot of talk about this uh, kind of true crime series called Banner Under Heaven, which is the story of you know two estranged Mormon brothers who were convinced that God was speaking to them, and ultimately Mm -hmm. they killed a mother and their 15 month old by slitting their throats like it's not i, I really want to pin this hard because it's not just the crusades it's not just white supremacy anymore oh, yeah. um it's happening in modern times which is scary and i think the horror genre and in particular saint Maud, really allows this kind of almost taboo topic no one wants to talk about the crimes committed in the name of christianity right it's it's saved for the history classes or it's saved for the online forums, but horror allows us to kind of dissect these complex themes that really challenge our idea of the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as a you know person who's religious myself, you know, I do want to just, you know, kind of point out, Hey, you know, religion doesn't force people to do these kinds of things, obviously just, you know, wanted to briefly hang a lantern on the idea that you know no there is more to it than just that but um, i want to stop you right but
0: i want to go ahead i have a, a thought i want to bring up here
1: but but yeah I, I i i definitely agree like people will cling to that or they will become obsessed and you know skew or you know hyper focus on things or whatever it is that will then yeah be you know uh their justification you know whether they believe it or not for doing some truly awful things
0: and i want to point out you know being outside of a religion now that i i hear that phrase a lot like oh they're bad people but that doesn't encapsulate the the entirety of religion and of course it doesn't you know uh, you are some of the most religious people i know nathaniel and you guys are incredibly wonderful people you know working in absolutes always gets you in trouble The thing I want to be careful about is I think religion is afforded that decency, but when you flip it on its head and religions are talking about minorities or marginalized communities, oftentimes the same respect is not given. You can be a good person and be a demonologist. You can be a good person and worship pagan gods. Uh, It's not about the organization anymore, right? It's about the character and the quality of the person and their decisions they make.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, yeah, it, anyone can be a good person. Anyone can be a bad person that, you know, their faith affiliation, I think, doesn't make or break that. It's, you know, really exactly. a matter of just being a decent human being or not. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: And I think St. Maude does this really well because the Bohemians, these people at the party, Overall, I mean, a lot of the characters in this film are not very likable, mm-hmm. but I found myself more drawn to the quote-unquote sinful people that Maude was kind of judging, right? Yes. I would much rather hang out with Amanda, this kind of, you know, I don't know her life story. Perhaps she was a drug addict. Perhaps she was, you know, an infomaniac or whatever. This These ideas that St. Maude was projecting on her. But I'd rather go out to dinner with Amanda than St. Maud, because I'd feel more comfortable and accepted in the presence of what Maud considered to be a sinner.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I think that is one of the things that it does a really good job of showing in the film is this idea of, um, I think, you know, shoving your beliefs onto other people. Um, you know, basically judging them by your standards and not by anyone else's standards. You know, that is obviously a very rife thing that a lot of people who are um, religious end up, you know, falling into is, you know, oh, well, because you're not conforming to how I see the world, then you must be awful. And right. so I, I think this, you know, puts that on display and then, you know, takes it to the point that, you know, she then becomes, I mean, you know, violent. First of all, just you know by slapping her, but eventually you know downright murderous in <laughs> order to try to quell another person's actions, take away her uh, agency and autonomy, which yeah is I think fundamentally against you know the an, an understanding of, of a lot of you know the kind of more pure forms of what uh, the Christian faith may be teaching, but people look at certain ideas or certain um philosophies or certain rituals and say i have to save everyone else
0: right they, they believe so fervently that their path is the only path that that kind of compassion for others to bring them into their same level of safeness uh is clouded and convoluted into something wicked
1: yeah, and, and you know, it's better to kill them so they can't keep right. doing the bad thing than it is to you know allow them to continue to be free doing what they want.
0: And I think a lot of these themes are present in the movie. You know, we talked about kind of the sinners being the good and likable characters in this movie, but also there's a lot of metaphor about spiraling or taking things into your body that mm. ultimately will kill you. There's a lot of smoking... You know, almost every character at some point smokes in this film. And I found that to be pretty fascinating of this idea that, oh, this brings me happiness, but it it, it will eventually kill me. Um, and then there's this whirlpool symbolism as well. When the possession starts ramping up for Maude, uh, she sees whirlpools everywhere. And her tea in the sky of this kind of slow spiral into something that she cannot control anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like the, the, the spiral, like... Uh, visual symbol it was really cool
0: um also i loved the symbolism of conflating a kind of the sexual experience with saint Maud, this orgasmic dopamine rush that she was getting and the putting it in parallel with kind of that spiritual elevation emotion that for her they kind of were un like the same so to speak Mm -hmm. and the symbolism there too i thought was really interesting as well is that you know if we want to get crude about it i think all humans really are just searching for that rush of dopamine day by day (laughs) and if we (laughs) don't get it something's happening and whether you're getting it through sexual release or through your spiritual mechanisms that's okay and it's okay to conflate the two you know it's it's humans in the search of feeling good and feeling positive.
1: Well, yeah, and, and I think, you know, what, what we see with her is that she has totally shut herself out from really any part of society, right? Like, especially, you know, by the midpoint of the film, she's, she's basically interacting with nobody. She is, you know, just kind of hiding away from the world because she doesn't have a job, she doesn't have friends anymore, she doesn't have a lot of these things. And so yeah, the only even like human interaction if you want to call it that or you know, just like moment that she's not even alone are these moments where you know she thinks she hears the voice of God. And so that is like the only stimulus that she's getting in the world. Um and you know, clearly she's very ill um and but but yeah like that's the only thing or that that that's that replaces any relationship any hobby any anything it's just religious fervor and and so of course it gives her that level of uh a dopamine rush because that's the only thing she has
0: yeah and i I think towards the end of the film what I really appreciated is it kind of separated itself into two different paths. It became a story about religious possession, mm-hmm. but it also became this really tragic story about what happens to someone where you don't have anywhere else to go and your life is kind of falling apart around you and your mental health gets to a point where you do become, you know, sociopathic to some extent, your idea and empathy for others ends and how kind of tragic that is it it really became about mod and not about
1: religion towards the very very end yeah well and and that's the thing i I find so interesting is that you know we have her as as uh you know being the the little savior is what um amanda called her uh, early on in the film you know and oh you know it's you know she's Saint Mod. Well, what do what does a saint do? That they they're go and they do selfless things. They go and they help other people and they dedicate themselves to the poor or the sick or the needy or whatever. And yeah, interestingly, the more obsessed she becomes with her religion, the less she does things like that. The more she retreats into herself, the more selfish and um, self-obsessed she becomes. It's really interesting. That, you know, basically, the more she believes, the less she acts on her faith. And, well, until, until she pushes it over and then does, you know, the thing that she thinks is so good for Amanda, which is murdering her.
0: And I think it's really fascinating, too, that this self-proclaimed, you know, hyper-Catholic, whatever, this very religious person, not once do we see any sort of quote from the Bible, any other scripture, All of that, you know, kind of quote-unquote dogmatic religion was not present in the film, Mm -hmm. which, again, I think really pulls it back to, well, this is more a story about Maud and her trauma in her life and how religion kind of filled that hole in a negative way. But I think it's kind of a two-path road here because that is a story that it's telling, but it is framing it
1: in the idea of religious possession. Yeah. Um... Shifting gears a little bit. I have to say, the, uh, the, the body horror and the moments of this you know self-flagellation and, and self-immolation, uh, ultimately <laughs> very effective. You know it definitely makes your skin crawl. you know, you, you watch it and you go, "Oh, I can feel it just seeing it."
0: Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things that made me realize, like, I have seen all sorts of horror. Out there, you know, from demonology to true crime documentaries, you name it, and it takes a lot to get under my skin. But I think body mutilation for me is one of those things that I don't like. Like it creeps me out, grosses me out. I don't like it. And you know, whether it's in a PG 13 Moon Knight TV series or in a rated R movie, like it just there's something so visceral about that horror that it's hard to overlook.
1: I agree. And and I think what makes it worse and, and more icky, I, I'm at a loss for a better word, is is that it's done to herself. Like, it's, it's bad to watch one person hurt another person, right? But it's a whole different thing to watch someone manage to do that kind of harm to themselves.
0: Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. torture porn doesn't get to me as much as that self-mutilation or even... You know, take a Saw movie where they're forced into a situation where they have to choose to hurt themselves.
1: Even that, ugh, don't like it.
0: To use your very clinical and technical word, Nathaniel, it is icky.
1: Yes. Very technical term.
0: Um, I really appreciated in this movie, though, too, the cinematography was beautiful. The set work, the scenes, all felt very intentional, very pragmatic. And the music, too, I felt was scarring when it needed to be, but mm. also kind of this triumphant religious hymnals that we talk a lot about, you know, taking something holy and pure like Christmas and flipping it on its head and making it horror. And I think that's what was executed very well in terms of the music and the cinematography.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It definitely has a very hymn-like feel to it. Um and, and you know, that, that contributes to the tone. And, yeah, the tone of the whole thing. I mean, like, you, you know it's going to go bad directions. And so the dread is there. It's it's pretty stellar in, in all of these ways.
0: I did watch this film at home. Uh, it was during the pandemic that I saw it. And I think it really would have been aided and lifted a little bit had it been released in cinemas. Uh, thanks, pandemic. Dang it, But... COVID. You know, just that experience of not having any sort of a distraction and really being present with Maud through this journey, I think would have amped the dread up a little bit more, too. Absolutely. The last thing I want to say is just, I felt like there was a lot of uh Mary Magdalene vibes going on with Maud, kind of taking this female character who intrinsically is probably not a bad person, but then kind of going on this weird journey and making us believe that they are a terrible person. Uh, it's a very like loose-fitted metaphor, but I did feel like they were trying to portray Maude as a saint in her mind, like you mentioned.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it, it just felt very intentional with how she was dressing and the types of sins she was committing. They all felt very like Mary Magdalene-esque taking this innocent girl and twisting her into this sexual pervert who does terrible, horrible things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It definitely did that in a way that was subtle enough that it didn't feel obnoxious.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that could be just me, like, projecting my religious trauma onto the film, but, um, you know, be a champion to Mary Magdalene. She's been put through the ringer, so. Agreed. Um, let's move into kind of the, the
1: negative things about the film. Okay. Honestly, there's real, like, like, there's a few things that I didn't love as much, but the the thing that has stuck with me that just didn't work in this film was the murder sequence. I agree. Yeah the
0: this the build up and kind of the mental shattering of Maude going to Amanda's house. And then this weird, like, demon moment where I think Maude was hallucinating and she thought Amanda was actually the devil, which pushed her to kill her ultimately. It it just felt contrived a little bit. The whole movie up to that point was very methodical and, like, the descent felt very intentional. Yes. And then it was like, oh, well, we need to kill this real fast, so
1: here we go. I agree. And and to me, especially because one of the big themes in the film is this idea that like pain and suffering purifies you. And and that, you know, is so present in all of the horror of the film and you know, it just keeps coming up again and again and again. That should have been a big part of that you know, final confrontation with Amanda in my mind. To me, what that you know scene should have been is you know she breaks into her house and she doesn't just like kill her after thinking she's a, a monster it should have been i'm going to try to save you before you die and saving her in that case would be purifying her by torturing her that's what made sense to me it seemed like such a, a clear obvious and horrifying thing that i was honestly shocked that they just kind of went with a quick kill um, well, yeah, yeah, and I think
0: it it takes away from a lot of the religious dogma that I felt was in place, this idea that we as humans are sinful creatures, and in order to purify that sin, we have to experience pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for Maude's situation, there are some Christian sects out there that believe that Christ's atonement or Christ's sacrifice, you know, whatever semantic you use for what the jesus christ story is all about isn't enough that you have to go through physical pain to achieve that purification and like you mentioned that's what the entire movie was portraying that Maud felt that her experience needed that physicality to suffer yes. in order to be purified so why would she not impart that onto amanda's experience make her suffer for the sin she's committed it it didn't it didn't fit the story. It felt like Maude all of a sudden was different.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and even like looking at how, um, you know, Maude's sins or the things that tempt her are basically the things that, you know, made up Amanda's life and that she then judged her for. Like, yeah, to me, it, it, the obvious thing was oh, well, if I had to walk on nails all day to purify myself, I'm going to have to shove a nail, I don't know, all the way up in your leg or something. Like like, you know, because you you're so much the sin is so much deeper rooted for you. Something like that. And so it just it's there and it works thematically and it just didn't give that to me and I was just like, like, no, I don't want to sit and watch the uh, like a lengthy torture scene, but suggest that at least. <laughs> And then, well, yeah, Lighter I... on Fire. Cool. That, you know, that, that was, a, be- like, it was a, a, a jarring image to end with. But I needed that other thing because otherwise I feel like you just kind of dropped the ball and forgot the, the whole theme and the point of the film. Yeah, I would like to,
0: you know, talk to the director, Rose Glass, and see what their interpretation of that was because it, it really felt kind of half assed. I don't want to say that out loud, but (laughs) half-assed of, you know, this beautiful portrayal of religious obsession, you know, repentance through suffering and this, you know, protagonist, for lack of a better term in Amanda gets to go through the process quicker than Maude herself. And to be clear, I love that last scene where Maude is kind of drenching herself in oil and she's on the beach, and everyone seems to be like giving her this beautiful send off. And then the light of the angels just illuminates her soul, and she gets her wings and is lifted into the sky. And it's beautiful, and everyone's just in awe that this, you know, servant of the Lord has completed her task. And then the last two seconds, you see her body on fire. She lit herself on fire on the beach, and she's screaming. And then the movie ends. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that That was a great gut punch. That scene is twisted and terrifying, but it would make more sense for her to like the suicide moment because of what she did again, kind of the suffering through to repentance. It it just, it lacked that, that cognizant decision to see the theme throughout the
1: end of the film.
0: Wow, have I never sounded more like a horror critic
1: before. Ha! Jeez. <laughs> um switching gears to another thing. I just all of the ads, all of that and and obviously this is going to happen with every horror movie. You know, really promised me a terrifying film. And it was a very depressing film, but it wasn't very scary. It was icky and it was depressing, but it wasn't scary.
0: It reminded me a lot of The Witch, to some extent. I feel like The Witch was much more scary.
1: Yes. But... It, it, it was The Witch if I wasn't scared. I was just bummed out the whole time.
0: Right. There was a lot of dread. There was a lot of tension. A lot of kind of uncomfortability. It's not a word, I don't think, but it is now uh but you're right like i never was scared i wasn't creeped out by tony collette climbing on the walls and like having an oh shit moment i just felt that dread throughout i was never scared i was grossed out with the Mm self-mutilation um i was grossed out with the religious stuff but i was never scared it it I think sometimes horror trailers really are deceptive and I'm getting to the point where your wife is Nathaniel of I'd rather, you know, maybe watch one trailer but watch it once and get excited for it and then just go see the movie because trailers for horror movies are really double-edged swords. Uh, it can be dangerous ground trailers. <laughs> yep. So teasers only from here on out i mean i enjoy a good like trailer number one to get me hyped Uh, but for an example like there's a new a24 movie coming out called men and i have no idea what it's about because the trailer is so cryptic Mm -hmm. it gives very subtle ideas as to what the plot might be about but it's it's vague enough that i go into that movie not knowing what's gonna happen if I recall, the mod trailers were very specific, and uh, kind of laid out the plot in the you know minute and a half, two minutes that we had for a trailer. So you go into it thinking you're going to get this super packed horror movie, and it just
1: kind of lets you down. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, we've mentioned that a lot of the characters were unlikable. Um. Yeah, it was it was just it was hard to cheer for anybody but it was also kind of hard to like feel too bad for the the bad things that were happening to them because you know m- even though like I felt like oh poor thing with Maud I just kind of thought everyone was various levels of either uninteresting or or just they were jerks and I was like well eh. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens to these people. Um,
0: yeah, there, there was... I didn't feel like there was a protagonist. There was no motivating or positive force in the movie. Maybe that, like, spunky nurse friend she had? But even then, she kind of let Maude down and was not the
1: greatest. Yeah, like, basically, she just wanted someone to party with again.
0: And I think we've kind of mentioned already this idea that the movie kind of runs on two paths. Mm-hmm. It it does talk a lot about kind of the religious obsession and possession that happens in life, but it also could be looked at as more of a a psychological analysis or character analysis of Maud and someone who goes through intense trauma and negatively latches on to something
1: to control their life. Yeah. And and yeah, I because of that, I feel like we're being promised religious horror, right? It's literally called Saint Mod. Right. And then we get a story that is, you know, just could, could just as reasonably be that instead of her latching onto religion, it could be her latching onto any other, you know, obsession in life. And, And that becomes the thing that dictates how she thinks and how she acts and all of that stuff. Um, I, I guess I just feel like, you know, this is about trauma and blaming yourself for something bad that happened that was, you know, a mistake.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I think for me, coming out of the religious world, I could very well clearly see what they were trying to do at certain parts. Yeah. Kind of using religion for the justification of evil. But I wanted it to go a little bit harder. I I thought at the end Maud finally like confronts this spiritual deity that she's been communicating with and and there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to that narrative at all. We have to kind of interpret it ourselves and that's really where it kind of shifts from being religious to being more of a mental health kind of this mod needs to be institutionalized.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just I don't know if it had it's hard to pin down what it had to say about religion exactly because like, you know, like we pointed out Maud's perception of Christianity is not really anything that quite conforms to any faith. It's Catholic ish Anglican but like, she's not, yeah, like, like you brought up, she's not really reading much scripture. She's really not performing any religious rituals that you would typically associate with any major religion. It's mostly her sitting around in her um you know in her room for the first trunk of the film and then sitting in her crappy apartment just wanting God to talk to her and that's it. And and so I guess I, I just didn't feel like it had a message, you know. It's fine if if the message was, you know, not flattering of religion that's fine I, I i there's lots of things that don't you know view religion uh, in a positive light and i would say that this is certainly leaning more into a negative direction but i just felt like it just was not quite saying anything but we're all supposed to nod and go yes well that was that that made a, a strong message about religion what was it so i see where you're coming from. Um
0: I would push back a little bit, though, in that I don't think a specific religion or a specific doctrine needed to be, like, explained, because, like, if we go back to this original argument that just because you belong to an organization doesn't mean that everyone in that organization is going to do wicked and terrible things. Yeah. Um. There are so many different weird, random sects and beliefs that, you know, may have started in Catholicism. Or Protestantism or even Mormonism that don't really follow by the traditional rules Mm -hmm. and can't really fall under an umbrella of, oh, this is a Catholic, or oh, this is a Protestant. But like, Christianity is similar enough that we don't really need that. Um so I was not as like bothered by that because I felt like the message was still there. This person is a monotheist who believes in a Christ figure and who believes in some sort of personal communication with God. Uh, that, to me, is very Christian. So, yeah. t- to me, the message was Christian Christianity, you know? But I-, I see where you're coming from, because, again, towards the end, all of this kind of unravels, and it does become a story more about Maude's mental health than about this, like, de facto religion she started for herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and really, I, th- I think the thing specifically with the religion or kind of the lack of of structure is really just that she doesn't seem to actually have any idea what it, what like anything Christian actually means. Like she has like basically, I don't know, five rough ideas about it. And she latches onto those five things like, Oh, sex is bad. I can talk to God. Um, I mean, nathaniel
0: i'm I'm gonna challenge this because does anybody know what christianity is supposed to be you look at any like organized religion nowadays and they do not follow what i think jesus established so i i I don't know that's that's tough because i think maude is working within her framework of the religion Mm -hmm. but i think this conversation is a little bit deeper right like what is true christianity that's very in interpretive to and subjective to people. Yeah. And is it does it come from the Bible? Does it come from Old Testament, New Testament? And if we follow the New Testament and we look at the Catholic Church, like those don't mesh. Mm -hmm. So you know, what is true Christianity?
1: No, and 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 that's that's a good point. And actually that might be part of the point it's making.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think we kind of uncovered something here. Yeah. Um
1: yeah it's just it's it's I don't know. I still just like wanted it to say more. But I think maybe with what we're picking apart here. Yeah, that, that maybe is the more that I was looking for. So um, <laughs> I don't regret questioning it. No, I,
0: I think this conversation is what we do best on Screen Kings here. We're, we tackle a topic from two very different worldviews. Mm-hmm. And we find the common ground of, okay, you believe this way. You see these things. I believe a different way. I see different things. Where do we meet in the middle, and where do we find commonality and beauty in this horror genre? And I think we just did it! Heck yeah. Booyah! Long distance high five!
1: Whapam! <laughs> so let's rate this film. Yeah. Um, screams wise, uh, I'll, I'll kick us off. I, I'm just going to give it a three. Like I said, it's it's icky and depressing. It's not scary. Yeah, I give it a four just in that
0: I think that self-mutilation, I had an awakening of I really don't like self-mutilation. It really bothers me to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so I rated it a four. But yeah, like we talked about, it's dreadful. It's not scary.
1: Yeah. Um, Crowns-wise, I'm going to give this film a seven. Um honestly most of the the gap between you know getting to a 10 really just boils down to that ending falling really flat for me um but like in terms of like the construction of the film and everything like that gorgeous wonderful but story is so big for me and uh they just tripped at that finish line
0: uh perhaps you could use your wonderful saying of it Crapped the bed?
1: Pooped the bed? I, I would even say... I, I wouldn't go that far on this one. Maybe, maybe sharted the bed.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, we need a shirt now, I guess. Yes. The, the <laughs> uh, how badly did you fell? The ending scale from, from you know, uh, a light toot to full blown. Jeez. Okay, this is just getting gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, I gave it an eight.
0: Um... I think the themes and the topics were really important for me. Um, I struggled with my own kind of situation with religious trauma and unpacking what that means to me. And I felt that this horror movie did something that I haven't seen any other horror movie do. So perhaps I'm giving it a little bit of grace to use a religious term. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important. I think more people should see it, especially religious people who are so devout that they kind of can't see past their own worldview.
1: I agree. And and I also will say that I want these kinds of themes to be explored again um, in, in a variety of ways because I think this is kind of an untapped or, or, yeah, largely untapped vein in the horror genre in terms of, like, the messages that it can explore.
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree. I, I don't think anyone would be surprised, but I agree with that. Well,
1: Max, how have you been staying spooky lately?
0: You know, I I remember in our last episode, I was raving about how much horror I was consuming at the time, but I feel like I've kind of dropped into a little bit of a drought. Um, I haven't done a ton of horror consumption lately. I feel like there's a little bit of a pause in new horror right now. However, I have really been enjoying rewatching the Stranger Things series. We have an amazing new season coming out, and in just a few weeks, that I'm quite stoked for. Heck yeah. It looks like the culmination of all of my d and fantasies mixed with horror. We have Vecna. I just am beyond excited. Uh, and while I've been doing that, I've been building an amazing Lego piece, a haunted mansion Ooh. I bought for myself for my birthday. Uh, not really horror, but definitely spooky. It's been a ton of fun and then finally i just want to like moon night, nathaniel holy cow i've been incredibly impressed with the presentation of this show i think it definitely falls in our genre of horror in regards of kind of the psychological element mm-hmm. uh but the the portrayal of did or dissociative identity disorder on top of a lot of kind of this pagan egyptian motif has made my little mythology nerd heart explode with joy, and it's pretty gritty uh I think it's one of the first marvel shows where you know it's a little bit more intense and rough than you know say any of the other <laughs> marvel films that we've had up to this point I think these disney plus t v series they have the capacity to be a little bit more intense than say a uh, you know a blockbuster
1: yeah, yeah it's. It's not quite going as far as, like, the Netflix shows did uh, for for Marvel, but it's it's definitely moving back in that direction, which I am here for. Yeah, I really have enjoyed Moon Knight as well, and I uh, read a bunch of comics recently uh, that I got for super cheap via Google Play. Um, So, yeah, uh, Moon Knight, definitely really enjoying that, and can't wait for the final episode to drop tomorrow.
0: Yeah, my, my partner actually got me that cool little scarab beetle compass for my birthday to wear as a necklace. Uh-huh. So I feel like the avatar of Amit, which tracks for my personality.
1: Yes. yes
0: it How does. about you, Nathaniel? What are you doing?
1: You have exciting news! Yes, uh, so as of our recording, which we are recording uh, on May 3rd, 2022, um, I am eight days away from flying out to denver uh to attend stoker con you
0: have to take my portable recorder and record every conversation that you have at that place even if you're just getting a pretzel
1: uh you know it plus i (laughs) might also have to grab a couple of uh books from you that i could get signed yes you're right because you know i'm just i'm gonna go i'm gonna you know hit up some uh some people that have been on the show uh including uh one Grady Hendrix uh, go to hell and you know our our uh good good friend uh Linda Addison uh, go to hell you know just just hanging out with them a little bit and just i don't know shamelessly pitching my uh current book project to a bunch of editors and agents and Oh, you know, just just living my best life, hanging out with basically Ugh. just a ton of horror writers and creators and just having the just just living my best life.
0: Ugh, next year we're going together, so help me.
1: Hmm. Or or you know, at least some s- some big horror cons of of some sort. But yeah, StokerCon, Uh, oh, it's it's going to be a blast. Lots of horror writing nerdiness. So, yeah, if any of our listeners are going to be at StokerCon, definitely hit me up. Uh, just on my Twitter or whatever, we'll totally meet up and I don't know, eat a pretzel or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um it's gonna be great. I'm you know, doing some polishing of, of the first major section of my manuscript to you know get it in a good position so I can, you know, show stuff if, if any uh agents want or whatever. I mean I'm determined. I'm gonna try to freaking sell my book, so get it. Get it done, Nathaniel. And then also, of course, party real hard with with our horror writer uh, homies. I am going to astral project.
0: Um, I'm going to look through my grimoires and perhaps make a, a pact with a demon so that I can project my body there. So watch out. Well, we, we
1: have a working relationship with Bazuzu, so...
0: He is the demon of, like, the west wind, so perhaps his wind can blow me in that direction that would need to go east so i might have to petition his counterpart which is fine
1: yeah i mean yeah, maybe maybe pazuzu can can hook you up
0: uh i don't need pazuzu i can use his his counterpart that's
1: fine great now this episode's going to get deleted or something
0: (laughs) oh probably yeah bess bess is pazuzu's counterpart he's the, the the babylonian god turned demon
1: by christianity thanks christians named Bess. That literally described like 80% of demons as Babylonian gods <laughs> turned into demons. <laughs> That's fair.
0: Uh, well, thanks everyone for a more traditional episode. This is kind of our bread and butter here at Scream Kings. This is what I love. This is where we started.
1: Nathaniel, I had a great time. Yeah, I, I did as well. We will be back soon, hopefully you know, with a little bit more regular schedule once the, uh, you know, chaos of the end of the school year uh, ends, I'm ready to die as a teacher. <laughs> Good. Well, heaven. don't... You have to wait until after Kong. Yeah, and then I'll have two weeks of wanting to die, and then, and then it'll be
0: done. And then I will finally achieve my true necromancy goals and bring
1: you back from the dead as my revenant. Well, there we go. The, the, get ready for some weird episodes of <laughs> Scream Kings as as it's just Nathaniel going <laughs> over and over again
0: alright everyone thanks for coming on, stay spooky. stay spooky
1: need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media
0: plug follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings pod, you could also email us at Scream podcast at gmail.com Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to
1: patreon.com forward slash screen Kings. Stay spooky.